We want to welcome our center worshipers in today and uh, for you that are over at the center worship today watching us, we uh, have already talked about our exciting service next week and uh, one joint service, our lunch following. We'll be having small groups as we always do at uh, 9, some start at 9, some start at 9.15, but we're looking forward to that incredible time. I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles uh, one more time to Job chapter 1. Job chapter number one. Uh, I, I know we got through chapter 42 last week, but God just wouldn't let me move from the book of Job. And uh, there's some things I'd like to share with you today as just kind of a wrap up. Uh, we're just uh, talking kind of about a, an epilogue here. There is a, uh, a script. When we invest several months in a word, in the word of God in a particular book, uh, I always like to stand back and say, hey, what? From a preaching perspective, what could we have done better? What, what, what areas should we have maybe uh, talked about or discussed? Or uh, what, what areas did we hit on that seemed to strike a real chord with our church family? And uh, as we kind of start to move away from this incredible, powerful book, just the privilege that you and I have to take some time this morning, take a deep breath, again, after investing a couple of months in this book, and say, you know, what's the real takeaway? And I, I guess we could have a whole list of takeaway moments, couldn't we? Uh, takeaway moments that include things like, you know what, God will never bring evil into our lives. All of this, all, all of this attack that was going on, we know behind the scenes was Satan himself assaulting Job. And just the encouragement to know that, yeah, we're going to walk through some trials and we're going to walk, walk through some difficult days but we know uh, God will never bring evil into our lives. And uh, as, as we walk away, God's incredible protection, how he has complete control and dominion of all things, including Satan. And this was a, a key moment for us to be able to see behind the scenes of eternal things that are going on, spiritual things that are going on. And when you and I get in the heat of battle, so often we forget these moments so many other pressing things are hammering us. We, for some reason, in the shock of the moment, in the misery of the moment, back away. And as, as we do, somehow our minds just don't seem to process with the same enthusiasm and encouragement. Hey, our God is in control even in these moments. It's an easy thing for us to say in a controlled environment, isn't it? But so very difficult when the wheels come off of our lives. But for me, one of the big questions as I walk away again from the book of Job is how did Job really make it through all this? And yes, I mean, obviously the question is answered in a holistic way by saying, well, God had his umbrella of protection around Job. Yeah, 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 I got that and so do you. But what, what allowed Job to come to the very brink of emotional collapse I mean, think about this for a moment. There were a couple of times that we, saw, we, we were able to see that and witness that. We heard it in his voice. We were able to sense it out of his heart through the verbiage in our Bibles. This guy is at a breaking point. Maybe that occurred a little bit at the, at the moment when his wife denounced God and said, let's just curse God and be done with this and die. 
Maybe it happens certainly as we emphasize at the end of nine dialogues, three friends, three different times, when Job says, hey, that's it for me. Man, dude, I'm done with this. But for me, as I walk away from the book of Job, I just wonder, what really, outside of the umbrella of God's protection, what allowed Job the ability to see his life restored, but more importantly, how did he make it through those difficult days? As a pastor, this is something that is so often addressed with people's lives when they come into a a real crisis situation. Many times it's death. Many times it's health-related. Many times it's a marital issue or a parental issue. Many times it's a vocational issue. Pastor, I've lost my job. We've got collapse at the business, whatever it may be. But what was it? Is there something that you and I can tap into today to take with us? To say, yeah, we've got this story. One of the great takeaways for me was many of you had never, I I mean, some of these friends, you had never studied those before. I just can't tell you how many people that have shared with me more than two hands worth in our church that said, Pastor, I got to be honest with you. I've been a believer for years. I've studied the Bible for years. I didn't even know the character Elihu. And so there's so many great things that I take away from this incredible series. But what I want to join you in doing today is going back to our roots in chapter one and suggesting to you something about devotion. I just want to see if you might agree with me today. And even if you don't, that's okay. We can disagree about the Broncos and the Cowboys. We can disagree about what allowed Job to to, to make it through. But for me, the more I look at this book in totality, the whole picture of what happened to Job, I think, I believe, Scripture bears out to us that Job had built such a great platform of strength going into the crisis that this allowed him to draw on that strength of reserves throughout the crisis to be able to help him have enough residual strength in him to be able to make it to the finish line without total collapse. And so many people go off the rails. So many people do collapse in the middle of the divorce, in, in, in the middle of the death of a parent, in, in the, I, mean, in the, I mean, in the midst of a friendship that's dissolved. But what if you and I could tap into that, this concept of devotion? So with your Bibles open today, I'm just going to suggest to you three things that I want you to go back and recount with me. Kind of just as a refresher. When we get through, I'm just going to toss out once again the question, do you think, do you think, that this is essential for anyone to be able to make it through trials and difficulties of life. Let's grab our Bibles and let's go back and let's talk about Job. In Job chapter one, let's just read those first five verses. It's been a couple months since we've had the opportunity to do so. In the land of Uz, I just remind you, this is where it all started, this is where it'll end. Not the land of Oz, we're not going to the wizard. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, 
And he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Keep reading with me. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And his sons, well, they used to hold feast in their homes, on their birthdays. Now, that's how NIV translates that. Some of you have other terms there. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Verse five, and when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned. Maybe they've cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. There is in all of us a struggle. A struggle uh, when we read these kind, of, these kind of characters, when we are able to study more about the character's life. Job is almost a bigger-than-life character for us. Even though destiny brought him to a place that uh, he experienced a lot of things that we experienced, death, financial loss, falling out of fame for a period of time, whatever it may be, wife difficulties, challenges in a marriage. We see all of these things transpire in Job's life. But through it all, it's almost like as we study these kind of biblical characters, you know, Job is just bigger than life. And so often I hear men and women that would just share things like, well, you, you, know, you know, pastor, it's one thing for such a godly person, so for such a godly woman in the Bible or such a godly man in the Bible. But for me, I'm not that great. I'm just an ordinary individual. And one of the takeaways I wanted you to jot down with me today, jot this down in your outline, the model of godliness does not require perfection. We've got to get that out of our mind. But it does involve a deep devotion. It does involve a deep devotion. And that's what I just want to toss out to you today. Three things about this devotion. Three things for a woman that's here today to say, hey, could it be that if I can get these three areas solidified in my life, it will also build a foundation for me? Could it speak into the very devotion of a man that hears my voice today that is, is able to say, hey, for me to be the kind of man that God desires for me to be, if I could emulate, if I could replicate, if I could copy what I have seen in Job's life, it might give me strength for the journey as well. Let's jot down these three things. First of all, the obvious. We see that Job is extremely devoted to God. He is deeply devoted to God. Let's go back and let's jot them down again. I had you jot them down two months ago. This, this repetitive work is going to be helpful to us. I, those four characteristics out of Job's life. Do you remember them? Number one, blameless. Number one, blameless. Remember what we talked about? That's not what? It's not sinless. Job was blameless. I think it's important for us to understand that in the theology circles of today, there really is nothing new under the sun. But circling back around in many theology circles today is this belief that the Lord Jesus Christ was not the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there's been many times through the centuries 
that that teaching has come back up over and over. Jesus was a master teacher. He was a spiritual man, but he was not the sinless savior. He was not a man that lived and walked on planet earth without any sin in his life. Surely, I mean, there's been movies made of this. There's been books written about this. But we know our Bible teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ was the son of the living God, fully human, fully man, fully divine, fully God, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. Can I hear an amen? And only out of that could he qualify to be a substitute for our sins. And I just shout that out to everyone that can hear my voice today. Every one of us needs a savior. Every single one of us desperately need a savior. Now, what's the distinction here between sinless and blameless? Sinless refers to what? The vertical relationship that we have with God. We are not sinless, therefore we need a substitute. We need a savior. But blameless works on the vertical plane of how people see us in our interaction with other people. The Bible says that he was blameless. You know, I was thinking back through all the things that Job said. One of the things that Job was proud of, and I don't think he did this in a haughty, arrogant way. Maybe you disagree. But as we were reading through the story of Job and his life experiences, much of it expressed by Job himself. Much of it expressed by Job himself to the three friends in dialogue. One of the things that Job was so discouraged about was how people were ridiculing him and, hu and just humiliating him. He said people that would not even thought to do that some time ago, kids in the street ridiculing me, street urchins of all the people to be ridiculing me. But one of the things that Job mentioned that he was very proud of is that he had invested deeply in widows in his community. You remember that statement? Job said, it's the very widow that I think that I've been able to reach out and have impact into their life. One of the things that's incredible about Job is evidently he was an incredible human being, a good man, a blameless man. And there's the picture, blameless. But also that word, jot it down, upright. Wasn't that the second qualifier of his incredible devotion to God? He was upright. Now the Hebrew language there's interesting. Because if, as we transliterate that into the English, maybe our best words, uh, maybe even better than upright, would be just, right, or acceptable. It's kind of a picture here that, you know what, Job made really good behavioral decisions. His life was upright. It had the proper moral compass. <laughs> When, when we got up this morning, uh, I, I got on the road about 540 or so going out to exercise. And when I went through my garage this morning, I smelled some gasoline. Does that alarm you when you smell gasoline in your garage? And I thought, goodness gracious, I think that I've kicked over a gas can out here or something. And so I was looking around. I could smell it, but I couldn't find it. Thank goodness I'm not a smoker. I didn't strike a match. So I opened the garage doors and got the fumes out. Went, man, when I got to church, Becky said, what was that smell out in the garage? And I said, well, it smelled like gasoline to me. 
wow, that stunk. And I said, okay, well, I'll look into it after church today. You know, that's on the list. It's high priority for Sunday afternoon. I'll, I'll even pull the nap off the list and work on the gasoline smell. And, and so uh, in doing so, uh, when I got to church a few minutes ago, that we had air conditioning out on both sides of the street. So I was on the center side. We had a repairman over here trying to get everything back up and running, seeing what the issues were. And in uh, doing so, when I walked out to my Jeep, I noticed there's gasoline pouring out from the bottom of my Jeep. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Maybe time to trade the old Jeep in. You know, there's a lot of things I really like about my old Jeep. But one of my favorite things about it is it has a compass. Up on my rearview mirror, there is a compass. It's always important to know what direction you're going, isn't it? Even when gasoline's pouring out the bottom of your Jeep, it's still important to know which direction to go to get to the dealership to get it repaired. Amen? But we know a compass is driven by what? The magnetic pull of what? True north. Doesn't matter where you are, a good compass will always bring you back to that magnetic pull. And in doing so, this statement says a lot about the magnetic pull of Job's life. He was upright. Did you see that third one? Jot it down. Feared, he feared God. Now you know this. But it's important to be reminded, in the Hebrew language, the word fear, and in the English, doesn't line up. Our word fear, we think trembling, shaking, scared. That's, that's the word often that in the English language. Fear, scared, fear, scared. Those are, those are cousin words there. Those two words fit together. If you're fearful, then you're scared. If something you're scared, then it brings fear in your life. But remember, in the Hebrew language, that word fear has what? wide range implications. Certainly it can mean trembling. Certainly it can mean what we know in the English language is fear, but we know in a much broader capacity it means what? Reverence or awe. And the fear of God that Job lived by is significant. I don't know if you like Oswald Chambers or not. I love I, I Oswald Chambers' writing. One of the things that he said that is one of my great collector statements. Oswald Chambers said, when you live with the fear of God, you fear nothing else. But if you choose to live without the fear of God, you fear everything else. Isn't that good? But Job had this incredible magnetic pull in his life, his relationship with God, he feared God. And then look at the third thing, he shunned evil. He shunned evil. Some of you have this translation, and it's an excellent one. He turned away from evil. Can I just suggest to you that one of the things that we have seen out of Job's life is Job brought back and brings to us, and it's something that we probably need to bring back in our culture, the beauty of the word no. Do you think, it, you think it's time that we bring that word back with a positive view of it, as it so often has a positive view? When we hear the word no, we think, well, no is just a negative thing. Oh, absolutely not. When we say no to temptation, it's a beautiful thing. It's a positive thing. I just wonder today if we're talking to some dads here that, you know, maybe it's just time to say no. No to your children. I mean, they shouldn't be in charge of your life. It should be the other way around. 
Maybe there's a female that's here today, a lady that's here today. And maybe it's time for you to bring back that concept of no. I love this about Job. I think it was part of his huge platform. I believe that the fact that he was blameless and upright and feared God were incredible things, but the fact that he avoided, he shunned, he said no to so much of evil and poor choices in his life. Hey, let me tell you something. This man loved the Lord. If you are to Google to look up in Webster's Dictionary the concept of being devoted or devotion. You will see three words used over and over again. The love, the service of, enthusiasm. Love, service, and enthusiasm. Job loved his God and he served him. Deep devotion to God. Pretty simple concept, but very important. I just want to show you something else. He was also, also very devoted to his family. He was very devoted, jot it down, to his family. Go back to verse number two. He had seven sons and three daughters. Big, big family. One of the things that um, I try to do most every wedding that I'm asked to participate in is share a little bit out of Ephesians 4. In there, Paul quotes... Outside the Lord Jesus, the wisest man the Bible says that's ever lived by the name of Solomon. Solomon made this statement, a three-stranded cord is not easily what? Is not easily broken. And Paul quotes that. And often in a, in a, in a wedding venue, uh, I, I'll, I'll share those concepts. This three cords, this rope, if you will, with three strands that are not easily broken. Because we know in the follower's life, those three strands are very simple, aren't they? The first is a strand of God. That is the ultimate strand that runs through any relationship, and that's our relationship with God, the Lord Jesus in our life. And then we'll talk about that second strand, the spouse. How important the relationship with the spouse is in a marital uh, context there. Hey, you, outside of your personal relationship and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no other, there's no relationship any more important than your spouse. Husbands, your wife, she's it in your life. Ladies, your husband, he's it in your life. Everything circles around that relationship. And then that third chord is the rest of your family, children, and the family that's built around that very cord that makes it strong. Go down to verse number four, but what's so unusual? You remember us reading this? His sons hold, held feasts. Now, NIV uses birthdays. I'm not so quick to jump on that bandwagon. That's another story. But we're not completely sure what days they are, but it, it appeared that it was an annual celebration in their lives. Maybe birthdays is correct, maybe it's not. Maybe it was more of an anniversary kind of thing. But the Bible gives us an indication that this family really enjoyed being together. This family loved being united. But this is all overshadowed, isn't it? By what Job did for his family. When we come to verse number five, I don't know about you, but that's one of the takeaways of Job's life for me. Here is a dad. Here is a husband that would be, was constantly on his knees 
praying for his family. Here was a man that loved his children and loved his family so very much that the Bible says, look at it, he would what? He would make purification. He would make atonement, sacrifice of uh, of burnt offerings for them, thinking, hey, if there's any unconfessed sin on my children's behalf, I want to be an atoner for that. I want to be a dad that has... That, that, that has implications spiritually in the lives of his children. I want them to know that I'm praying for them. I want them to see me praying for them. I, wanna, I want them to bear witness that their father was a prayer warrior for them. And in this moment, it's an incredible picture. You think Job made a difference in the life of his children? The Bible kind of gives us this implication in terms of these children. It appears that Not only at the end of the book, well, that doesn't appear, it it tells us that even the girls got part of the inheritance, which was unheard of. All 10 children were part of the inheritance. But it appears here by language that it wasn't just the boys. It appeared that all the children came together in this incredible time of celebration. Is your family important to you? Is that cord that surrounds you, your relationship with Jesus and your spouse and your family? Is that cord secured in your life? I'm shocked at the book of Job doesn't say anything about when his wife denounced the God and says, Job, you need to denounce him and let's just let God take our lives and be done with this. I'm shocked that there's nothing stated there. We, we don't know the outcome of that. We don't know if there was a screaming match. We don't know if there was bitterness. We just know Job completely renounced what his wife suggested. We don't hear from her the rest of the book of Job. But in that moment, I just have to wonder... You know, I wonder about strange things in the Bible. I just wonder what held old Job in when one of his three cords was starting to start to frazzle. What gave him that strength? I just wonder if I speak either digitally today or to some of those center worshipers or some of you in this sanctuary that are just having a tough time in your marriage. Every 12 seconds in America, a marriage dissolves. Just for you that are counting, that's 6,700 marriages a day. And for you that are counting, that's about 2.4 million a year. But you know my takeaway from that? That's almost 3.6 million children in 2020 are going to wake up one day to the news that their parents are splitting. I just wonder how big a platform family heritage was for Job. How did that guy make it when his 10 children are gone to heaven and they are there no more? And his wife has renounced the God that they so have revered and loved. I'm telling you, this is an incredible moment 
our devotion to God and our devotion to family is so very significant. But would you write down a third thing? We've got to hurry. And that is his deep devotion, jot it down, to a life of faithfulness. To a life of faithfulness. You know what I'll really walk away with from Job thinking about? Job was a man that was faithful in both extremes that you and I are going to experience in life. We're going to go through the ups of life and we're going to go through the downs of life. Every one of us. Our lives are going to be roller coasters. There's going to be some times that things are going extremely well. There's going to be other times that things are not going as well. But Job gave evidence. The Bible gives us evidence that in both of those extremes, Job was faithful. Jot down this. Job was faithful in prosperity and success, wasn't he? He was faithful in prosperity and success. When you go back and look at that list, <laughs> I was just reading a couple of days ago, he owned 7,000 sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how big a blessing that would be in today. You know, I shared with you the other day, what would you do with 1,000 donkeys? Can I translate that into something maybe you would better understand? He had 7,000 shares of Walmart. I can see that really didn't hit your hot button. Let me see if I can make it a little more home for you, okay? He had 7,000 shares of Krispy Kreme, amen? There we go. I knew I could light your fire one way or the other, all right? Here's a guy that had all kinds of stuff. Here's a guy that had mounted all kinds of material wealth, incredible in material wealth. But in the midst of that, the Bible says this about him, and it just gives us this blank statement. Did you catch it at the end of verse 3? He was the what? The greatest. There's his fame, his fortune. He was the greatest among all the people of the East. You know, I've known so many people that have come into a place of prosperity, and it was just too much for them to be able to handle. It caused a total collapse in their life. Job, here's a man that was able to what? To honor God through the midst of his prosperity. In the center point of a place of success, he was a, God still came first. But we also know he's faithful in disparity and difficulties. Jot that down. We were a witness to it in the Bible. I mean, when all the wheels came off, Job was still what? Faithful in the middle. He lost it all. He lost his family. His wife cursed him. His friends were all about that message of what? Over and over and over again, the judgment of God. And do you remember? Even when heaven went silent, Job was still faithful. Even when there was no apparent word from God, someone once say it said that the tall tree seems to always catch the brunt of the storm. And maybe that's the real picture of Job. Here he is, the greatest. Here he is, blessed and anointed of God. Here he is, a blameless and upright man, a God-fearing man, a man that was loving the Lord and loving life. Maybe he was, as the Bible says, he was the tallest man. And maybe that's the one that caught the brunt of the storm. But you remember his incredible statement in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will still, what? I will hope in him.
You see, confidence is not the issue. Boldness is not the issue. Audacity is not the issue. But it's our willingness to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite historical characters, I was talking to my friend Gil about this at supper the other night, is a guy by the name of Teddy Roosevelt. And you ever heard of Theodore Roosevelt? Can I see your hands? I'm just glad you're still awake. I'm excited about that. One of my favorite people uh, in history. A lot of people aren't, aren't aware of two things about Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was a deeply devout man in terms of his faith. A lot of people are not aware of that. And many people are not aware because his first wife died at, at a very young age, just shortly after they were married. But he remarried. But the second thing I would say about Roosevelt historically is he had an incredible marriage. Everything points to his love for his wife and his love for their six children. But by the age of 50, Teddy Roosevelt had accomplished so many things. Elected to the New York legislative body. He was the president of the board of police commissioners for New York. He was the governor of New York. He was the undersecretary of the Navy. He had served as an ambassador. Here was a guy that ultimately vice president and president of the United States. But by the time he hit the age of 50, Teddy Roosevelt had accomplished so much. But what very few people know about him is what he was asked to do during the middle of World War I. Being a native New Yorker, he was asked by the New York Bible Society, Mr. Roosevelt, would you be willing to write just a short statement that we can place inside of all of the New Testament Bibles that we're going to be handing out to every U.S. soldier that heads to war. That little space that Roosevelt wrote about became known as, in history as the Micah Mandate because he quoted out of the book of Micah and then wrote just a short excerpt. I want you to hear that today. The teaching of the New Testament Here's what Roosevelt wrote to put in every deployed serviceman's Bible. The teaching of the New Testament is foreshadowed in Micah's verse. What more doth the Lord require of thee than to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Do justice, he said, and therefore fight valiantly against those that stand for the reign of Molech, Beelzebub, I almost got it. On this earth, love mercy, treat your enemies well. Can you imagine putting that in the Bible of a serviceman? Treat your enemies well. Succor the afflicted. Treat every woman as she were your sister. Care for the little children. Be tender with the old and the helpless. Walk humbly. And you will do so if you study the life of the teachings of the Savior, walking in his steps. And remember, the most perfect machinery of government will not keep us as a nation from destruction if there is not within us a soul, not abounding of material prosperity, shall avail us if our own spiritual senses atrophy, the foes of our own household, and surely they will surely prevail against us unless there be in our people an inner life which gives its outward expression of in, in, in a morality like unto that preached by the seers and prophets of God when the grandeur 
that was Greece and the glory that was Rome still lay in the future. I take that incredible statement, the foes of our own household will surely prevail against us unless there be in our people an inner life which gives us outward expression in a morality. How do you think Job made it? I can only walk away with God's sustaining umbrella being part of my answer, but the other part, Job had this incredible foundation. His devotion to God, his devotion to his family, and his faithfulness. I pray that God, as we walk through difficult days, will allow you and me to have that kind of foundation to help carry us through. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just want to thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Thank you for our study in the book of Job. Thank you for his life. Thank you as we think back to two months of investment through the days that we thought, man, oh, Job's not going to make it through to even in that moment that we shared last week in total restoration, Job's 10 children in heaven and his 10 more that were given to him on earth, the livestock and everything that was doubled in immensity around him. But Father, it was in those dark days that maybe we can learn the most about Job's life, the inner strength. Would you allow us as followers of yours to be truly, truly devoted to you. That's every bit of our love. That's every bit of our service. And that is the very enthusiasm, a very essential part of a devoted life is our enthusiasm for you, our Lord. Thank you today for sending your Lord Jesus to be the perfect sinless sacrifice so that in our sin, we can be saved with the very Savior's blood that covered and forgave not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. Thank you for those incredible prophetic words of John the Baptist as the Lord Jesus made his way down to that river. As John the Baptist looked and shouted forth, there he is. There he is, making his way down. The Son of God that has, behold, he's what? He's taken away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you for the life of Job. Thank you for speaking to our hearts about this very mystery, the mystery of misery. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.